Hello, and welcome to A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall, a ministry of Calvary Chapel San Juan Capistrano. Open your Bible and join us, as together we seek to grow in our daily walk with the Lord. This is the last weekend before Christmas. And next week, we will be celebrating the arrival of God's only Son, the day that heaven truly touched earth, the day that the King of Kings was born. It was a day when biblical prophecy was fulfilled, when light came into darkness and the glory of God was clothed in human flesh. And there was hope for the hopeless, Salvation had come to a lost world. And yet the world that God so loved was unaware of the arrival of the Savior. The narrative of the nativity is described in only 39 verses in two different gospel accounts. But it begins with a divine birth announcement. In the Gospel of Luke, the angel Gabriel came to a young woman named Mary, who some suggest was only 15 years of age. And Gabriel told Mary she had found favor in the eyes of the Lord and had been divinely chosen to give birth to the Savior of the world. And the birth of the Savior was supernatural, for it was to be a virgin birth. The angel revealed to Mary that the Spirit of God would come upon her and overshadow her, and she would conceive and bring forth a son. The virgin birth of Christ was a fulfillment of prophecy mentioned both in Genesis chapter 3 and Isaiah chapter 7. In the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15, the Lord, when pronouncing judgment upon Satan for his deception, of Adam and Eve declared, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The great English preacher, Charles Simeon, called this verse, quote, the sum and summary of the whole Bible. Although you may not see it at first glance, Jesus is in this verse. He is the ultimate seed of the woman who would one day crush the serpent's ugly head and in the process, his heel would be bruised at the cross. But in short, this verse predicts that Jesus would win the victory over Satan in order to reconcile man back to God. And then this prophecy appears again in Isaiah chapter 7, and this time it's 700 years before the birth of Christ. In Isaiah chapter 7, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Meanwhile, imagine how Joseph felt when he got the word of Mary's pregnancy. Matthew's gospel records for us the difficulty that Joseph was having when he was made aware of the news. The Bible records that while Joseph was struggling to make a decision, 
The decision was whether or not to put Mary away privately with a bill of divorcement, for she had violated the marital vows as far as Joseph could understand. But while he was wrestling with what to do, the Bible says that the angel Gabriel appeared unto Joseph as well. And Gabriel told Joseph not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife. And he told him that she would bring forth a son and his name was to be called Jesus, for he would save the people from their sins. As this couple then began to prepare for the arrival of the Son of God, a command was given by the Roman Empire that all the world was to be taxed. And Mary and Joseph, in the final stages of Mary's pregnancy, were forced to return to Bethlehem, traveling some 80 miles in order to be registered. But understand this morning that Mary and Joseph were not simply traveling to Bethlehem in order to fulfill the demands of Rome. They were traveling to Bethlehem to fulfill prophetic scripture. For the prophet Micah had predicted where it was that the Messiah was to be born in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 when he said, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forths are from old, from everlasting. How appropriate that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. For the word Bethlehem means house of bread. And from the house of bread would come the bread of life. But when they arrived in the city, it was crowded. There was no place for them to stay. And the only place that Mary could give birth was in a cave that was used as a stable for animals. And the Bible records that without the assistance of a midwife or doctors, that Mary brought forth her firstborn son, the Savior of the world, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. The manger, of course, was a feeding trough for animals. What a lowly birth of the king of the world to be laid in the equivalent of a feeding trough for animals. At the same time, the Bible tells us that shepherds were out in the field, they were watching over their flocks, and it was during the evening. Some believe that these shepherds were actually overseeing the sheep that would be slain at Passover for the atonement of men's sins. How interesting that the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world, not just cover sin, but remove sin, was born in Bethlehem, and the shepherds were caring for the sheep. And that night, it says that the angel of the Lord appeared to the men and told them of the birth of the Savior. And at first, the shepherds were greatly afraid. But then the angels began to sing of the glory of God, and these men were moved to go and search for the child. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby, and they worshiped him. And then the shepherds went everywhere, the Bible says, and proclaimed this divine birth announcement, told everyone of what they had seen and heard. 
Not long after the birth of Jesus, Matthew again records that there were wise men from the east that traveled, having observed a star in the heavens that led them to the place where Mary and Joseph and Jesus were staying. We don't know much about these wise men. We know that they came from the east, which may mean that they were from the area of Mesopotamia. At this particular time, it was the home of astrology in the Hellenistic world. Some have proposed the idea that maybe they came from Babylon, that perhaps they were successors of Daniel. But nevertheless, we find that these men traveled a great distance, and the reason they ended up in Jerusalem is they had seen the star and they followed it. Some have also suggested that perhaps the star that is mentioned is in direct correlation with the prophecy of Balaam in Numbers 24, 17, when it says, a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It was a supernatural, miraculous leading of the Lord, directing these wise men to the king of kings. And when they arrived, it says that they presented to him gifts. First, there was a gift of gold, that medal of kings. By gold being offered to Jesus, these wise men were in a sense acknowledging that he had the right to reign. And then there was the frankincense. It was used in offerings within worship, mixed with oil used to anoint the priests of Israel. In presenting the incense to Jesus, we can see how that Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, is not only our king, but he is also our high priest who intercedes on our behalf. And then they offered unto him myrrh, which was an important item of commerce in the ancient world. It was used in the embalming of the dead. From a natural standpoint alone, one may be offended by offering a recently born child myrrh. Yet for Jesus, it was appropriate, for it had been predicted long ago in the Old Testament that he would eventually suffer and die for the sins of the world. Gold for the king, frankincense for the priest, and myrrh for the Savior. When they came into the presence of Jesus, they fell down before him and began to worship him. When Jesus came the first time, many people were unaware of the significance of his arrival. They were looking for a political hero, one that could free them from the oppression of Rome, a strong leader who could lead them into military conquest and reestablish the greatness of the kingdom of Israel. And it is true the Old Testament prophets had foretold of a king and a kingdom that would come, that would be established on the earth and would never end. They had written of the government being upon his shoulders and the increasing of that government. However, the prophets also predicted that the Messiah first must suffer and die and then rise again from the dead. Before he could wear the crown of glory, he had to wear the crown of thorns. In Jesus' day, there were many who were unaware and did not receive the gift that had been given to them, the gift of the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And there are some even today who have yet to receive Jesus. As we step into the celebration of Christmas, there are so many joys that surround the season. For many of us, it's the joy of giving, 
and even receiving of gifts beneath the Christmas tree in order to bless the ones that we love. But this morning, I want to take just a few moments and look at a different tree. It's the tree of Calvary, where Jesus, the light of the world, shed his blood so that we could be forgiven and set free from the bondage of sin. And it reveals the true meaning of Christmas. And on that tree and beneath that tree are the greatest, the most wonderful gifts you could ever receive. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1, verse 17, that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said in verse 7 and 8, but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Our heavenly Father is extremely generous. And what is the motivation for his giving of these gifts? The motivation is God's love for you. I wonder if this morning you are aware of the gifts that God has wrapped for you in his love and in his grace that are ready for you to open. How about the gift of salvation? In John chapter three, verse 16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that there is none righteous and we're in need of salvation. We can't save ourselves. That's why the Lord sent his son into the world to be born in Bethlehem, to live a sinless life and then to take our place on the cross and order that we could be saved. God so loved that he gave Listen, if you never received another gift in your entire life except for the gift of salvation, that would be all that you need. There is no greater gift. It is the greatest of all. You say, well, how does one receive this gift? Is it by cleaning up your life, trying harder, being better? No, it's by coming in humility with faith and receiving salvation. The Bible says it is a free gift, but it wasn't cheap. It cost Jesus his life. Another gift to consider, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Acts chapter two and verse 38, as Peter stood up and preached on the day of Pentecost, he declared, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When the disciples had learned of the soon departure of Jesus from the earth, they were greatly troubled, but Jesus promised that he would send them the gift 
of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would come alongside them. He would strengthen them. He would remind them of everything that they had learned. He would convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. He would be with them. He would be in them. And he would come upon them, giving them power to be bold witnesses within this world. He would strengthen them to overcome the temptations that they would face, sanctify them in order to become more like Jesus. They would be led by the Spirit and they would produce the fruit of the Spirit within their life. What a gift. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Friend, have you received this gift? Have you unwrapped the gift of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? If not, why not today? What about the gift of God's word? Jesus said in John chapter 17 in verse 8, He said, I have given them the word that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know the truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. Jesus said, I gave them your words, a gift, the gift of the word of God found within God's word are the instructions for our lives. Found within God's word is a revelation of who he is. It's a revelation of his love. It's a revelation of his will. The word of God is unchanging. It is inspired. It is inerrant. It is the truth. It is the sword of the spirit. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The Bible says he holds his word above his name. The word of God lights my path, refreshes my heart, strengthens my mind, heals my soul. Peter put it this way concerning the word of God and the gift and all that is found within it. He said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, by which have been, there it is again, given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Do you notice that it's been given? In God's word are promises for you to take hold of, to apply to your life. Then there is, of course, the gift of hope. There's a lot of hopeless people in this world. They don't have an expectation of coming good. They don't have an eternal perspective. This is all that there is. And yet the Bible says... To the child of God, there is the gift of hope. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus came into this world to bring hope to the hopeless, a reason to live an expectation of coming good, a knowledge that all things are working together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. You remember that the psalmist at one point in his discouragement, he said to himself, why are you cast down, O my soul? And then he responded by saying, hope in God. Friend, there is hope in God today. 
Where is your hope? Is it in the Lord? Have you opened these gifts of salvation, of the Holy Spirit, God's word, the gift of hope? Here's another gift. Peace. Peace. In John chapter 14, in verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. When Jesus' birth was announced, the angels proclaimed, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Jesus is prophetically spoken of as the Prince of Peace. How are we able to receive this peace? By the way, this gift, it comes at a price. They all do. How do we receive peace? Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 tells us how we receive peace. It says, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. That's how you're able to have peace with God and the peace of God. And you cannot experience the peace of God until you're at peace with God. If you're fighting against God today, if you haven't surrendered your heart to Jesus, you're, you're at, the Bible says, at war with God, and you're not at peace. Oh, but what peace you can experience today if you would surrender your heart and life to Jesus, a peace that surpasses your understanding, a peace that will guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. The gift of peace then there is the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy. The Bible says that our God is a merciful God. Mercy is getting what we do not deserve. I don't deserve mercy. And yet the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1, therefore since we have this ministry as we have received, which means it's been given, we've received what? Mercy. We don't lose heart. The Bible tells us that God's mercies are new every morning. In fact, the Bible tells us concerning God's mercy in Ephesians chapter 2, but God, listen to this, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What makes all that possible? His mercy, his mercy. He's merciful. Maybe you've failed. Maybe you've blown it. Maybe you've made some serious mistakes and you're suffering the consequences right now and you're sitting here today and your heart is heavy and what gift do you need? God, I need your mercy. And he is merciful. In Lamentations 3.22, it says this, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. He's a merciful God. It's, it's available, it's under the tree. <laughs> it's accessible to you. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Will you open it? Will you receive it? And then there is, unless you guys are good with gifts. Has you guys got enough gifts? Is that all right, you guys? I mean, that's a lot to carry, but there's a few more. <laughs> you know, you're, you have the parents that like, they always have that one gift that's hidden. Like it's the, the, the one that they don't tell you about. You open everything up and you're like, where's that one like that I usually get after they're all done. Is that, we're not doing that this year? Are we, you know, okay, let's just keep going. I don't know any kid that says, no, that's enough gifts. I have plenty. 
Here it goes. And this one might surprise you. The gift of gifts. The gift of gifts. Is there such a thing? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God has distributed through his Holy Spirit to every believer a gift. There are three different gifts lists of giftings in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians, there are gifts that God has distributed to the body of Christ that he desires us to use. They're a work of his grace, but he wants us to use those gifts. The gift of gifts. What gift do you have? You say, I don't know what gift I have. Ask the Lord to reveal it to you. And then be a good steward of the gift God has given you. Don't look at the gift that God gave somebody else and say, man, I wish I got that gift. How come I, what happened? Why did we, I, I didn't get that gift? How come he gave it to him and not to me? Why does she have it and I don't? Don't be that person. God has gifted you. Use it for his glory. This week I was reading of another gift that I'm so thankful for. In Matthew's gospel, I was reading and I came to the 21st chapter in the 22nd verse and I was reminded of the gift of answered prayer. It says, in whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. That's a gift. The Lord encourages us through the prophet Jeremiah, call unto me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And then there is the gift, and again, we're almost through with the receiving of these. But this one right here, I mean all of these, truly, but, but this one, you can't get this at Target. This is not, you know, at Walmart. Uh, Amazon cannot deliver this to you. You can't, can I put this in the cart? No, no, you can't. It's not there. What, what, what gift is it? It's the gift of eternal life. The gift of eternal life. I just want you to think about what that is for a second. It's life eternal. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, and this is the testimony. Listen. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but you are going to live forever somewhere. Every single person has eternal life, but not every person has eternal life in heaven. There is heaven and Jesus said it very clearly, repeatedly throughout the Gospels, there is hell. Every single person has eternal life. And eternal life in heaven is found in his Son. Thanks for joining us today for A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall. You'll find us online at adailywalk.org. That's a good place for resources to help you grow in your daily walk. If you'd like prayer or have questions or comments you'd like to share with us, our email is adailywalk at gmail.com. 
You can also reach us by phone at 877-242-0828. That's 877-242-0828. To watch today's message again or any message you may have missed in the series, download our free app. Simply search CCSJC. Be sure to stay tuned with Pastor John on Instagram at John P. Randall and on Twitter at PJRandall7. Make sure to join us next time when we'll again open the Word together, seeking to apply God's truth to your daily walk.